0: Speaks words of warning to us. Help us to hear what he says and to heed it. In Jesus' name, Amen. As we come into Matthew chapter 13, a chapter full of parables, as we discussed uh, in the previous weeks, the first parable all by itself tells us a great deal about actual Jesus that jars with modern notions of Jesus. It turns out actual Jesus was often very, what we would call, negative. I mean, he tells of four soils, and of the four soils, three are negative. Three are, don't do this soils, don't be like this soils. Three out of the four are warning. Warning. The first three are warning. Most of them are warning. So to our minds, this is negativity. Uh, When a preacher is a Bible preacher, he often gets that criticism that he's negative. Well, if he's just as negative as the word is, he's hitting it about right. If you don't preach the promises and joys, you're not being faithful. But if you don't preach the warnings with equal vigor and equal specificity, you're not being faithful. So let's hear what the Lord Jesus says in these negative examples, because they give us critical, eternal life-saving truths about God's word. And because we are first warned of these deadly snares, and then he speaks of the right way, and that will be our focus next week, Lord willing. So let's go where the Lord Jesus takes us, and let's hear what he wants to teach us here, beginning with Roman numeral one, the trio of tragic terrains. Trio, T-R-I-O, of tragic, T-R-A-G-I-C, terrains, T-E-R-R-A-I-N-S. The three soils, the three plots of, or areas of ground where the sower sows his seed. And the first soil we will see is packed and pecked. It's packed and it's pecked. The parable itself, verses 3 and 4. And he spoke to them many things in parables saying, look, out went the sower to sow. And as he sowed, on the one hand, some fell along the way, and the birds came and devoured them. Many things, Matthew tells us, he spoke to them many things in parables, not just one. I read a preacher recently who said he came to the realization that all these parables are about the same thing. They're all about the future kingdom of Christ. But I can't agree, as we, we discussed in the previous weeks, that's not the sole focus. And as Matthew says, it's many things, not just one. He speaks about many aspects of the mysteries of this phase in God's kingdom program. And many parables. There are eight in this chapter. Perhaps he gave more, but Matthew records for us eight. The first in the eight frame, the middle six. Two pairs of three in the middle. Many things in parables. And Jesus says, Look. Now this word look, we found it eight times in chapter 12, but only one time in this chapter. So one time in the parables, Jesus particularly says, now look, I want you to picture this. I want you to get in your mind what I'm talking about. And it wouldn't be hard for them to do. The familiar picture of the sower, 80 to 90% of Galilean uh, uh, life, Galilean society, would have been related to agriculture 80 to 90%. That's even more than the oil business in Houston, I think. That even beats us. So everybody would know this image. Everybody would be able to picture what Jesus speaks of as he calls to mind the image of a, of a man going out with a bag of seeds to a field, walking along the path along that field side, reaching into the bag and scattering seed. Scattering seed. And you see where it lands in the first bunch of seeds. He wants us to picture Land and dance and bounce on the hard trodden path, packed soil that he walks up and down and others walk up and down sowing to the various fields. And as it bounces and the the seeds lie on the surface of that pack, down flutter the the watchful birds who know what's going to happen and they peck, 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 peck until every last seed is gone. Now, I remind you that in all Bible interpretation, the literal sense is always the fundamental sense. People accuse us of being literalists, and I plead guilty. Even symbolic passages, we have to understand the literal picture, or we won't understand the symbolism. And so we need to picture this man sowing, as all of Jesus' hearers would easily have been able to do, and picture what he's talking about. Picture these birds coming down and lighting and pecking up before uh, any of the seeds had any chance to begin putting down roots, let alone bearing fruit. So that's the parable right there. And as I mentioned when we studied this passage, Jesus just told that to the crowds. He didn't explain it to them. That's part of the new phase of his ministry. He only explained it to his disciples in secret, in private. And so Matthew moves that up so that we can get the explanation of this first foundational parable, let's look at Jesus' exposition and open it up in verses 18 and 19. Jesus says, You therefore must hear the parable of the sower. Well, if you read the context, this comes after verses 10 through 17, where Jesus is answering the question, Why are you speaking to them in parables? And he answers that it's a judgment of God on them, because they've heard and heard but not heard, and they've seen and seen but they've not seen. And so God judges them, and now Jesus is going to shift from His normal, plain, frontal way of teaching to teaching them in parables that they will not understand as a judgment on them. But you, He says, to you it's been given to understand. Look at verses uh, Matthew 13, verses 16 and 17. He says, "...but blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear." For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And so having said that, he says, you therefore must hear the parable of the sower. They've been given the ability, they need to exercise it now. They need to listen up and they need to get what it says, get what it teaches, because as I say, it sets the stage for this phase of God's kingdom program, what God's doing and what's going on. So you must listen, he says. Picture this hard soil, so hard, so packed that the seed doesn't even penetrate the subject, the, the, the surface at all. The birds peck it away before it even begins to develop. Matthew Henry uh, observes, as Satan is the great murderer of souls, so he is the great thief of sermons. As Jesus says, everyone hearing the word of the kingdom and yet not comprehending... The wicked one comes and seizes what has been sown in his heart. This is the one who is sown along the way. So the soil represents a kind of person. And more specifically, it represents the heart of a kind of person. Notice Jesus says, everyone hearing the word. Everyone In other words, yes, you might say, well, of course, somebody who's dropped out of school for a life of drugs and crime, yes, he's not going to understand the Word of God. Oh, but you must understand, no less, the multiple doctorate person, the graduate of the finest institutions with the best education we have to offer, that person with this kind of heart would fare no better with the Word of God. It would make no more penetration in his heart. It has nothing to do with education. It has nothing to do with ethnicity or skin color. It has nothing to do with what society or or where in society you are, whether you're in the Grey Poupon League or the Generic Mustard League. It doesn't matter at all everyone who hears the word of God and does not understand. And notice this, he actually hears the word of God, just like every one of you are. I think I'm speaking loud enough that every one of you is hearing the word of God now, which is to say your eardrums are vibrating with it. Your ears are recording what the word of God says. And so as in the case of this person, his eardrums vibrated to the word of God. This is the word of the kingdom. It's the best seed. He says, this is the word of the kingdom. This is the gospel of, king, of the kingdom. This is the word of God that's coming to his ears. And even more, what does Jesus say? Who hears the wicked one comes and seizes what's been sown in his heart. So the word is addressed to his heart. That's the right organ. It's not an attempt to manipulate his feelings. It's not an attempt to get his body to move. It's to his heart. It's to his mind. It's to his comprehension. It's addressed to the right place. It just makes no penetration. The birds come and peck it away. The wicked one comes and seizes it away before it can do anything in that hard, hard heart. He hears, but Jesus says, what does he not do? Hearing, but not what? Thank you, not comprehending. Hearing, but not comprehending, which is to say he doesn't see the implications. He doesn't rightly appreciate what it is. He doesn't see it as something that is important to him. Uh, his big problem is, it, is his heart, and his heart does not recognize what the word is. It doesn't, his heart does not see the word as being weighty. It doesn't see the word as being life And it certainly doesn't see the word as being anything he needs to hear. He's packed down and hard with everything he thinks he needs. And the word is an unwelcome visitor that he doesn't need to take in. He doesn't see its value. He doesn't see its worth. He doesn't see its necessity. And so it just lies there until Satan obligingly can come right away and peck it right out before it does any good to him. No sooner does the word land on his heart No sooner do the words vibrate his eardrums than the restless, diligent, alert adversary comes and snatches it away. Always watching, always ready, always eager to do this very thing to make sure the Word of God does not make connection with one of His people. Valerie and I were at a picnic table in Lost Maples uh, State Park and uh, Valerie started throwing some uh, peanuts out to see if the birds were interested. And there was one red um, cardinal who spotted it and he, he pecked one away, it was something to see. And he, he evidently told the missus because he came back with a, a lady cardinal. And they both kept coming back and forth and then they were joined by little guys with black mohawks, I have no idea. And uh, they, there were more of them. And I swear the peanuts were half the size of their heads. But still, they'd pick them up and they'd fly away. They were more aggressive, actually, than the cardinals. And then a third kind of little bird came along. And some of the peanuts we strew were in the bush but they saw them <laughs> and they found them. We'd see them, their little heads go down and come up with a little peanut in their bill because they were, they were watching. You know, they, once they, they discovered that the meal train was on, there were enough birds there to, to take care of what we'd, what we'd uh, fling out. And so they watched eagerly and they pecked them away and they took them away. Well, that's what the wicked one does here, only more aggressive and more eager. You see, if we won't grasp and retain the word well then he's eager to seize and remove the word that's what he does he wants to remove it before any business can be done between God and this lost soul and the lost soul is perfectly obliging he's a hard hard heart listen to J.C. Ryle from the 1800s describe what's going on here he says we may listen to a sermon with a heart like the hard wayside careless thoughtless." unconcerned. Christ crucified may be affectionately set before us, and we may hear of his sufferings with utter indifference as a subject in which we have no interest. Uh, Fast as the words fall in our ears, the devil may pluck them away, and we may go home as if we'd not heard a sermon at all. Alas, there are many such hearers, Ryle says. It is as true of them as of the idols of old. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Truth seems to have no more effect on their hearts than water on a stone. That's the picture. So what does it teach us? Let's think of the applications and lessons. I want to ask first the question, what are the issues what is the issue really in this case and in this case i'm going to say there's a general and a specific issue the general if issue is simply our autonomous adamic nature our self-ruling fallen nature is the problem look at romans chapter 1 with me and see the natural instinctive reaction of every son of adam to any revelation of God. In this case, it's natural revelation. This is what we see in nature. The fact that outside and inside us, everything says God, God, God. And what do we do when we see that? Paul says in Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness ungodliness is the lack of the fear of god no reverence for god unrighteousness is straying from his standard but look they suppress the truth and unrighteousness because what that which is known about god is evident within them for god made it evident but Verse 21, though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or give thanks, but they came futile in their thoughts and, in their fool- and their foolish heart was darkened. Very interesting, the word translated foolish is related to the same word Jesus uses when he says without comprehending. I would translate it their uncomprehending heart. Just like Jesus speaks of this soil was darkened and professing to be wise, they became fools. So, Everywhere they look, they see a testimony to God, but every time they see, every bit of truth they see about God, they suppress it. As if to say they flick away every seed off of the path. They suppress it. They don't receive it. They don't take it in. This is the natural response of natural man to revelation, to general revelation. But even more... To special revelation, which is to say the Word of God, as we uh, read about in Matthew 13. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the next book in. Look with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And what does Paul say about the natural man's response to the Word of God? Verse 18 For the Word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is foolishness to them. That's, that's all they hear. We talk about religion and they say, that's nothing to do with me. That's nothing that I need to hear about. I'm fine. I am okay. I am packed and hard in my life. I don't need to hear this. And so uh, look at verse uh, 23. We preach Christ crucified to Jews' a stumbling block. And that's related to the word Jesus uses when he says that the, the third soil is uh, tripped up. To uh, to the Jews' a stumbling block, I'm sorry, the uh, second soil. uh, To the Jews' a stumbling block and to Gentiles, foolishness. That's all it seems to be to us. It simply seems to be folly, foolishness. Uh, And uh, and so we have nothing to do with it. We don't seize it. We don't grasp it. We don't take it in. Uh, Look at chapter 2 and verse 14, in fact. But a natural man does not accept the depths of the Spirit of God for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually examined, spiritually assessed, you could also say, spiritually evaluated. It's the Spirit of God that gives us to know the true value of God's words, but apart from the work of the Spirit of God, they have no value to us at all, and so they lie on the surface, like on the surface of this path. That's the general problem. The general problem is just our Self-ruled, fallen nature. But I think there's a more specific problem with this soil, and simply that problem is pride. It's simply pride. Proverbs 12.15, you can just note it down, but listen. Proverbs 12.15, the way of an ignorant fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. Now that's pride. Self-content. I'm sure that I know and have everything that I need myself. I don't need a word from outside. So everything that he chooses and thinks feels right to him, so it is right to him. So he doesn't listen to counsel, even the counsel of God speaking through his word. That was 12.15, Proverbs 21.4. Haughty eyes and a proud heart, the fallow ground of the wicked, are sin. Well, that's interesting. Fallow ground like this is fallow ground, unplowed ground. And so what is that unplowed ground? Solomon says it's haughty eyes and a proud heart. And that is the heart of this man. The word of God is given him, but he has no need of it. He doesn't need to do anything with it. It's fine with him that it be pecked away. Finally, Proverbs twenty-six, twelve: Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Wise in his own eyes, again, needing no word from God, because he's, he's gone the same path as our great, 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 great grandmother. It looks good to me. It sounds good to me. It makes sense to me. So that's the way I'm going, no matter what God has said. And that's this hard soil. So what's going on here then? going on is that a man hears the word of God. It's addressed to his heart. But in his pride, there's just nothing there for him. He sees nothing there that he needs. There's nothing there that he's interested in. So any distraction, any dodge, any excuse, any un- unthought out Uh, well, what about evil? You know, sort of nothing response that he's given no thought to isn't really a problem to him, but he just, bottom line, doesn't want to think about it. Does not want to engage God's word in any way. And so it's gone. And so the life-giving word of God does no more good for him than it would for a boulder because it's a hard soil, hard because of pride. So soil one is hardened by self-will and by pride. Pride. Now, there's the second soil. The first is pecked and packed. The second soil is parched. It's parched. Verses 5 and 6. And on the other hand, others fell upon the rocky areas. Now, I want you to notice three things Jesus says. Jesus says the same thing three different ways. Here's the first. Others fell upon the rocky areas. Number one, where it does not have much earth. Immediately they sprang up, number two, on account of not having depth of earth. But when the sun sprang up, they were burned, and, number three, on account of not having root, they dried up. So what's the thing with this soil? No earth. (laughs) No depth of earth. No place for the root to sink down deep. Now, here's what you need to see. Remember, we always have to start with understanding the literal picture. We won't understand the point of the symbolism behind it. So picture this in your eye. Remember, I explained to you, we're not talking about soil that has lots of rocks in it. We're talking about soil that is over a uh, 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 ground rock, base rock, just a slab of rock. So there may be an inch or two over this rock, but down in an inch or two, there's just rock. But to the naked eye, what does it look like? Well, it could be 5, 10, 15 feet deep, as far as you can see. It just looks like dirt. It just looks like soil. You don't see to the naked eye that, well, just an inch or so down, there's rock. And those seeds aren't going to sink down any root. It looks just fine. It looks like good soil. Now, wheat and barley, which are the common crops, their roots go down 20 to 39 inches So they need some depth of soil to grow. And with that sun and that climate, of course it has to go down deep to get the moisture and to be able to endure the sun. There needs to be depth of soil, but what does Jesus say three times there isn't? Depth of soil. (laughs) That's the whole point of this kind of soil. So, with no depth, the plants spring up right away with great promise. Uh, An inexperienced farmer would look at that and just say, oh, this, this part of the crop is doing great. These seeds pop right up. I see all sorts of green here, there, everywhere. Fantastic. But then the sun comes out. And note, this is worth noting, the same sun that's going to shine on the fruitful soil shines on this soil. But in the fruitful soil, that sun is turned to fruit. But in this soil, what does it do? It kills them. Why does it kill them? Well, Jesus may have mentioned it three times. Why does it kill them? no depth of soil. So the sun dries up the top inch or two, and well, that's all there is. (laughs) There's no place for the roots to draw on moisture and and, uh, nourishment because, hello, there's no depth of soil. And so the sun dries them up. They get a problem from outside and a problem from inside. From the outside, the sun bakes them. From the inside, they dry up. And so that which makes good soil fruitful makes them dead. And so you just have to say simply of this soil, soon up, soon down. Or we have a, a phrase, what do we say? Easy come. And that's just the case with this soil. So let's look at Jesus' exposition and open that up in verses 20 and 21. He says, but the one who is sown upon the rocky is this is he who hears the word. Now, notice that, Hears. And you, if you were to circle that word in your uh, outline, you see I bolded it in, in your, your outline here. And if you were to go through the, the first 23 ch- verses of this chapter, you'd see hear, listen, heard. You'd see it again and again and again because that's the whole point of this section and you see he hears the word that's not his problem his problem is not that he hasn't heard the word well if somebody would just talk to him that he'd be so much different oh no he hears the word and what happens and immediately with joy receives it but he does not have root in himself but instead is temporary and when tribulation or persecution happens on account of the word immediately he is tripped up he's offended He's caused to apostatize, to fall away. So, what does he do? His, his response is immediate, it's emotional, it's dramatic, it looks really great. What is that selling? Like? Well, the soil. It looked really great, right? All you see is dirt. You don't know that it only goes down an inch. So, his Im- initial response looks very great. It's emotional. What does he feel? Well, he feels joy because the gospel brings sweet promises. And he hears those promises and they sound really good to him. Oh, I'm forgiven all my sins. I get to live forever in an idyllic paradise. Fantastic. God loves me and he has my back and he always watches over me and I can always talk to him. These are great promises and he loves these promises and he's very excited about them. And so he immediately springs it, accepts them, springs right up like the the soil. And and he wants to be in everything and he wants to be everywhere. And there's all this flurry of activity. He looks exactly like not just a convert, but a really good convert. (laughs) He looks like a really solid, excited. What's our expression? On fire, which is ironic because that's what ends up being the problem. <laughs> he, 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 he's on fire. He's got no depth. He dries right up as soon as something comes along because he looks like a genuine uh, convert, but what's the problem? What's that, what's that adjective Jesus uses that's troubling? He's temporary. He, the literal word is for time. He's for time. Interestingly, like the writer of the Hebrews says, sin, the pleasures of sin temporary, he says. They're passing. Well, so his conversion is temporary. Who's like that in the book of Acts? Phil hasn't gotten there yet, but he will, Lord willing. Simon Magus in chapter 8. Simon Magus. Simon Magus sees all these works of the Holy Spirit, and he wants in on that. And so he converts, and he's baptized in the whole nine. It turns out that his heart is unchanged, there's still the root of bitterness in his heart as Peter sees it. He's an example of that. So just as sudden and dramatic as the conversion is, just so sudden and dramatic is the apostasy. And what causes the apostasy? Pressure for the word. Persecution or tribulation because of that word he's professed. He thought he was just professing something happy that was his key to happiness and joy and the future he wants. And it turns out that it draws fire. And he did not sign up for that. Although... If you read the large print, (laughs) it's not even the fine print. You read the large print and you read through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Acts 14, in the world you will have tribulation. John 16, and on and on. Uh, But when it happens to him, no, no, this is not what he signed up for. He has no root, so he falls away. Hebrews 10.36 says, you have need of endurance so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise Hebrews 10.36, you have need of endurance. 1 John 2.19, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they were of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be manifest that they all are not of us. 1 John 2.19. Now look, endurance does not make a Christian, but endurance is the mark of a Christian. And that should be part of our definition of what a Christian is. And that, that would take us from the no true Scotsman fallacy criticism we get. when We say, what about this one who fell away? And I, you say, well, if he fell away, he's not a Christian. You say, oh, that's right. The no true Scotsman fallacy, you know. You say, well, no true Scotsman would, would like uh, to drink this or eat that. Well, he does it, and he's Scottish. No true Scotsman would like that, though. <laughs> and so, likewise, we're criticized that way because we don't, Define what it is to be a Christian biblically. What it is to be a Christian is to deny yourself, die to your life outside of Christ, rise to new life in Christ by repentant faith, and cling to him forever. That's what it is to be a Christian. So you show me someone who makes a profession and falls away, does he match that description? Then he's not a Christian in biblical terms. And so this person, yeah, makes all good signs, but tribulation makes a Christian grow. But tribulation makes the second soil fall away. And so he does. So now let's talk about the application and issues number three. What is the issue here then? I bet, I bet you can see it. I'll, I'll risk it. What is the problem with, what, what, what's the issue with somebody who looks really good and religious and pious on the outside, but inside is a totally different story? What do you call that? Hypocrisy. That's hypocrisy. The very thing Jesus talks about again and again in this gospel. And that's the issue of this soil. It looks fine. You just don't know that an inch down, it's all rock. And there's no soil. Listen, for, look at Matthew 5 with me. And just hear Jesus say it. Look at Matthew chapter 5. You say, that's the Sermon on the Mount. Well, oh, very, very good. That's right. That's exactly right. And what does he say in Matthew five twenty? Something shocking. We talked about this at good length when we were there. Matthew 5.20, he says, But I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So it needs to be a kind of righteousness that is different from theirs. And what marks theirs? We'll turn all the way back to Matthew 23 and verses 27 and 28 when he's reading the riot act to the scribes and Pharisees. And what does he say to them in verses 27 and 28 of Matthew 23? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. In this way you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness." or as we might say in terms of this paragraph, on the outside, perfectly good soil, one inch down, rock, 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 rock. So turn back to Matthew 6 just one more time. We're in 5, just turn to 6. And so he warns us, beware of doing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. He warns us against hypocrisy. Because what is hypocrisy the mark of? Well, put in context, hear me, it's the mark of the people who had just blasphemed the Holy Spirit. The people who had just committed the unpardonable sin. Whitewashed tombs on the outside. Righteous on the outside. Dead bones and uncleanness on the inside. And that's what this soil is. It looks like perfectly good earth, but inside it's just rock. It's just rock. And the kingdom of God will not be made up of people like this. So the issue is hypocrisy in this case. And what's going on then? Well, a person hears the word of God and responds emotionally to it and does lots of things. Maybe stops doing this and stops doing that and starts doing the other thing. All sorts of flurry of activity right away. And he embraces it to a point, but inside he's unchanged. What was rock is still rock, is still rock. And so when the word of God, he's made a profession to believe in when it draws fire, He lets it go, because inside he's unchanged. Inside he's still rock. So the first soil is the hardened soil of pride, that packed and pecked soil. The second, second parched soil is the thin soil of hypocrisy. And now what about the third soil? The third soil is pestilent. The first is packed and pecked. The second is parched. And the third is pestilent. And what is the pest in this case? Thorns, weeds. So let's look at the parable. Pestilent, P-E-S-T-I-L-E-N-T, pestilent. Parable is very short and pointed. Verse 7, and others fell upon the thorns, and up came the thorns and choked them. So, the same soil that receives the seed already had weeds. Now, that's important. It may seem like a small detail, but it's not. It falls on the weeds. So, the weeds are already there. Soil is added to the weeds. Again, that may seem like a little thing, but it's not a little thing. It's a big thing. I hope to show you. So, stay with me for the whole program here. But uh, it's it's a big issue. The seed falls where there are already weeds. And, well, anybody who's tried to garden in any way knows that weeds are not hard to find. As a kid, I always said, why don't we just call the weeds crop? You know, I mean, there's so much of it. Just say, well, that's what I want to do. That's what I meant to grow. And, uh, but my parents were not convinced. So the soil which should host only seed instead hosts many seeds, many different kinds of plants. And there's no lack in Palestine. 125 kinds of thistles. 125 species grew in Israel that could choke out a harvest. So there was no lack of thistles. But they were already there. They'd not been dug out. They'd not been removed. And so when the seed's sown, it lands on them. And as they grow up, the weeds compete for nutrients, and the seed is choked out and doesn't bear fruit. That's the parable. So second, let's look at Jesus' exposition. And let's open that up in verse 22. But he who was sown into the thorns, this is he who hears the word. Oh, there he is again. He heard it. He had his opportunity. He was presented with the word of God. And the anxiety of the age and the deceit of wealth chokes the word. And he proves fruitless. He turns out to be fruitless. So there's the category the common factor of the first three soils none produces fruit the seed is the word of the coming kingdom it's the word of heaven now listen it's the seed of the gospel of the coming kingdom but it's the anxieties of this kingdom that choke it out the kingdom of man what does jesus say the anxiety of the age so you can't worry about heaven and worry about this age at the same time, to the same degree, in the same heart. you follow me? You can't be all concerned about the concerns of God and the concerns of this age, the world, at the same time, in the same place, and to the same degree. And that's exactly what happens here. The seeds grow up together. The weeds win out. The weeds are the world with all its cares and its deceptive pleasures... All the things that it's worried about, that's what anxiety means. The anxiety of the age, in other words, worrying about what this age worries about. Worrying about what the world worries about. Having the same priorities, the same values, the same things that are that matter the most. The opinions of others, power, influence, how I'm seen, how I'm regarded by other people or by particular groups of people, how they see me, how they regard me, whether they like me or not not caring about God and how he sees me working for the goals and and the agendas of this world not for the agenda of God being all anxious and torn up about that and not about the things of God what did Jesus say about that well, look at Matthew 6 again with me just turn there please if you're not still there Matthew chapter 6 verses 19 through 34 Matthew 6:19 Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth what's a treasure It's something that's worth a lot to me. It's worth a lot to me. It's really important to me. Well, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where that doesn't happen. But look at verse 21. Here's the key. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What's really important to you is where your heart is going to fix its attention. And what does he say in Verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Or we could say, no soil can host two crops. For either he'll hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. So, what's the answer? Verse 33 But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. I commend that whole section to you. I mean, it's like a commentary on this, but we won't read the whole thing right now, but I I commend it to you. It's the anxiety for the things the world is anxious for that kills here. So, uh, what are the applications and lessons uh, that we get here number three? What is the issue? What, we've said the issue of the first is pride. The issue of the second is hypocrisy. What's the issue of this third soil? Well, I'm going to come round about that and look, look at Matthew 10 with me. And I think when I say 10, what I really mean is 16. I'm going to go there because I'm pretty sure I'm right about that. You know they're both round, Six zero. Yep, Matthew 16 is where I really want to go. Matthew 16, verses 24 through 26. If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What's he describing there? He's describing conversion. He's describing repentance. What does repentance look like? It looks like me denying myself. It looks like me taking up my cross to die to that life before Christ. It looks like me following Jesus and not trying to seek to save my life in this world, but lose that life so that I can gain the eternal life I have in Him. That's what, can, what repentance looks like. So, I said I'm coming around sideways, so what's the problem with this soil? Lack of repentance. Lack of repentance. Impenitence, if you want, need to put a, a single word. What, what does repentance do to the soil? Repentance pulls the weeds out of the soil. Repentance is, is, is like spiritual roundup for the soil. You know, you just spray that and all the weeds die, is the idea. I mean, and that's what repentance does. You say, I don't see that. Okay, let me just open up a little bit more. What are you doing when you deny yourself? What are you doing when you you die? You take up your cross. You're dying to that. You're dying to the the world's concerns and the world's priorities and the life you had in it. So that you might be all in for Christ. Take up your cross. What does Jesus say? And follow me you see. But this person hasn't. Weeds and seed at the same time in the same place, do you see? No repentance. So what he's tried to do then is he's tried to add the word to what he's already got. That's exactly what's going on. Something about the word appeals to him. He likes parts of it. He likes parts of the gospel. So he takes those parts and he adds it to what he already is. He hasn't been convinced of his sin, He hasn't been convinced of his depravity and of his lostness and of his absolute guilt before the holy God and the judgment of God that hangs heavy over his head. and could fall at any second. That's not what's gripped him, but something about the word has appealed to him. So he adds that to everything else, to the weeds, if you will, that are already there. And he has not repented. He's believed and. He's a hyphenated Christian if you will. He's a this, that, or the other thing Christian, instead of a simple Christian. And in time, his true colors show. And he falls away, you see. So we've seen packed and pecked soil, and the problem there is pride. We've seen parched soil, and the problem there is hypocrisy. And we've seen pestilent soil, and the problem is there there is unrepentance, lack of repentance. So now from all this, let us glean twin... Timely truths. We've looked at a, we've looked at a trio of tragic terrains. Now let's glean twin timely truths, and these kind of um, act as bookends to each other. And first, we'll look together at truths about sewing. Letter A, sewing, and it's important that you spell that with an O. Uh, we're not talking about needle and thread. We're talking about word and soil. <laughs> so, uh, about sewing. First, think about the nature of the seed of the Word. It's important that you sow this seed. And again, the problem in none of these cases is the seed. The solution maybe in their literal form might be to examine, see if you've got good seed or not, if you've got a good source or not. That's not the problem here. The seed is the Word of God. There is no better seed. So the important thing that a sower do is sow that seed. And as I've said to you, the trouble in many churches today is that when they don't see the crop that they want, then they start looking at the seed. And they start deciding they're going to sow something that works better. So that's when you take polls of the unbelievers and ask people who hate God what they want to hear in church. Which, You know, I'm no genius, but I don't think that's how you do it. <laughs> I just don't think that's what church is supposed to be. But that does make big churches, or can. You go ask unbelievers what they want to hear in church, and then you, 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 you give them that see that 's changing the seed isn't it isn 't that exactly what it 's doing, or saying, well people don 't like hearing about this or that or the other thing that is in the Bible, so we just won 't preach those things. Well, what are you doing there? you 're messing with the seed, and that is not the solution because the problem's not the seed what 's the problem? The soil it 's people 's hearts, and what 's the only thing that can actually do anything for them <laughs> it 's that seed. It's that seed because the seed in reality is is the word of God. Why is it that Satan is so intent on snatching that puppy away as quick as he can? If there's a soil that doesn't even let it go in, you know, and with the weeds and the shallowness, he can just let nature take its course, if you will. And he does his part there too as well. But if it's just lying there, well, he's going to peck it away. But why is he so eager to do that? Because God's word is how he connects with us. I'm never tired of trying to press this on to you. It is one of the most important neglected truths of, well, of ever, of, of since the church started. God connects with us through his word. That's the instrument of his connecting. You say, no, it's Christ. Uh, yes, and where do I find Christ? How do I learn of Christ? Uh, how do I call on the name of the Lord? Well, I need someone to preach to me. Preach what to me? The word. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, the Word of Christ. So that's where we're connected. What does Satan not want? He doesn't want us to connect with God. And so what do you do? I mean, you, you, what you do is you bomb the bridge that brings the supplies, you, you destroy the supply route. And the Word of God is the supply route. So the faster he can get you away from that thing, well, the happier he is. And he's got oh, all sorts of so shiny objects to distract us, no end of shiny objects to distract us so that we don't hear God's Word. But you also notice about the sowing here, it is the Word of God. It's living and it's powerful. What isn't it? It isn't magical. It's supernatural, but it isn't magical. What's the difference? It's supernatural, it has the power of God, but it's not magical in that it does something all by itself. And so all you need to do is tell someone the Bible and he'll instantly convert just because of the power of what you said, like a magic formula. Well, that's not what it is. It it has to be taken into the soil, which we'll look at next week. So, the nature of the seed, it's the word of God, it's supernatural, uh, and so we must preach God's word purely and emphatically and all the time, but it's not magical. So don't expect magic. Secondly, the nature of the world. You could say the first is the nature of the word, the second is the nature of the world. Well, the world is hostile ground. We as sowers need to to know that. The world is hostile ground. It does not want what we're selling, if you want to put it that way. And like I say, that's where churches say, okay, so we need to change what we're selling. Obviously, if people don't want to buy what you're selling, change what you're selling. Just like the Bible says to do, never. (laughs) It says to do the absolute opposite. What does 2 Timothy 4 say? The time will come when they won't want to, they won't put up with the truth. With itching ears, they'll chase after teachers according to their desire. And what does he say when that happens? What do you do? What does he say to do? Change the word? Preach the word. Preach the word. And so it is here. The world is a hostile place and it offers constant opposition. And so a sower needs to work hard hard doggedly and never forget what his job is. What is his job? It's to sow the seed. The result is between God and the sinner. But my, my place is to sow the seed. And I remember a time in, in my ministry here actually, uh, years back when I was quite discouraged and I, I was uh, uh, praying and seeking the Lord in a time uh, off. And um, one of the things that struck me is that God has made me a, a worker in his farm a sower in his farm. And isn't it just the most amazing privilege to have that place, to have the place of sowing seed for him. And so if, if the crop isn't happening just like I want it to happen, well, that's not my concern. My concern is to sow seed. And isn't it a wonderful thing to be able to sow seed for God? It's beyond imagination. Just like Paul said, this is, I've got this amazing grace to preach Christ. He never got over it. And I seek never to get over it either. And we shouldn't get over it. We need to be ready to work doggedly and tirelessly and without discouragement, keeping our eyes focused on what we're doing it for. We're doing it for God. Not to count coup, not to make notches in our Bible. Not to win souls so we can feel good for how many. You know, like McDonald's used to say, over five million served. The sign used to say, we, we don't, we're not out to say over five million saved. Uh, we want to sow the seed. That's, that's the goal, to the glory of God. The nature of the world, it's against us. And thirdly, Satan hates the word and he wants it gone. As I said, that's how God does business with men. And so we've got to have the opposite attitude to Satan. We've got to prize the word. We've got to put it first. You know, is something I think, I hope, I've grown on a little bit over the years. Many people have fluttered through our church, and they don't like this, and they don't like that. They don't like the music. They don't like the decor. They don't like the demographic. Um, this, that, or the other thing. But what is never the thing? They, don't, they never say, I, I don't hear the word of God preached here. And that's never what, may, what, what moves a person to move on, not that I've ever heard. And so it's always some peripheral thing. It's always some nothing. And God makes clear over and over again that what matters most to Him and should matter most to us is His Word. His Word is the issue. And it needs to be our issue no matter what the world says, no matter what Satan says. It's what we need and what we need to be about. So that about sowing, and then next about hearing. and It's going to be the focus of next week on how to hear well. This week was how not to hear God's word. So what do you figure the title will be next week? (laughs) (laughs) You can probably work it out. But talking about hearing, let's just uh, take a look at this from what we see in the soils. The first thing we need to notice about hearing is that there's more ways to hear wrong than there are to hear right. There's three ways to hear the word of God wrong. Only one way to hear it right. Uh, Why is that? Again, it's because it isn't magical. It isn't automatic. That's one of the reasons we prepare for worship. That's why the the music starts five minutes early. Time to sit down and shush up and start getting our heads ready so that we're not distracted, we're not hardened, we're not uh, in a dozen different directions, but we've prepared our hearts to seek the Lord. It takes preparation. Shiny objects will distract us otherwise. And so we need to hear the Word of God. There's only one way to hear it rightly. There are three ways to hear it wrongly. Now, that's something very important to note. And so I, I just want to close looking at this with you. What is it that all these bad soils desperately need? What would end their being bad soils? What are the sorts well, what, what do they need to have happen to them? Well first, I suggest that those people need a, and lack, a vision of God's majesty. They, they need and lack a vision of just how immense and sovereign and mighty. And tremendous God is. Think of that. what that did to Job in chapter 42, of Job's uh, book. Chapter 42, verse 2. I know that you can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And then in verse 5 he says, I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore I reject myself and I repent in dust and ashes. What broke him? The actual vision of the actual God. And the true majesty and sovereignty of God. And that needs to happen. That would would break up the hard soil. That would weed out the weedy soil. That would um, shatter the rocky soil. But also secondly a glimpse of God's holiness. God's majesty. God's holiness. Think of what it did to the prophet Isaiah in chapter 6 of his book. And he sees a vision of the holiness of God before which the sinless seraphim are hiding their faces. And he sees it. And what's his response? Verse 5, his response is not, well, this is a nice little plum to put in my resume. I saw God. That, that's not Isaiah's response at all. Oh, what's his response? It's a, it's a wail. It's a cry. Woe is me, for I'm ruined for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, Yahweh of hosts. Uh, a glimpse of the holiness of God shattered him. They need that. Thirdly, they need the thundering of God's law. Because why? They measured themselves by themselves. The packed soil feels self-sufficient. The shallow soil feels like what people see is enough. The weedy soil feels like all plants are worthy. But God's law, Romans 3.20, because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Why? Because the law communicates God's righteousness and communicates to us that our real measure is not measuring ourselves by ourselves. What is it? measuring ourselves by God and God's law comes in and I'm I'm broken, I'm shattered finally they need the life giving movement of God's spirit to change their hearts Isaiah, sorry Ezekiel 36 verse 26 is a promise God makes of the elect remnant in Israel and this is a feature of the new covenant and so he says in Ezekiel 36 26 moreover I will give you a new heart. Oh, that's just what these soils need. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. They need a glimpse of God's majesty, of His holiness. They need the thundering of His law, and they need the work of the Spirit of God. So it's fitting to ask, since we've all heard the Word of God for the last... Time, period of time, how did we listen? What kind of soil are we before the preaching of the Word of God? Were we not really listening? Were we thinking about a thousand different things? Just being in a church doesn't do anything to us spiritually. So if we were thinking about a thousand different things and not really paying attention, that sounds like the first soil. Or were we just reacting emotionally and thinking how much better our lives could be by adding some Word of God to it? And maybe we'll do a flurry of activities and see if things work out. That sounds kind of like the second soil. Or are we just adding it to our world, thinking how it will help us get what we want out of life? And that sounds like the weedy soil. No, we want to receive the word of God and take it in deep and let it sink its roots down in us and bear fruit through us. We'll learn more about that next week, Lord willing. But God, save us from ourselves. God, grant that we hear, heed, hold, and bear fruit. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this, your word, and for it, how it penetrates us, how it searches us. It's living, it's powerful, and it is a judge of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And your word has judged us. Help us to hear and learn from what it says. And uh, I pray that the Holy Spirit will personally apply this message to each, that your word may find each, and you'll do business with each person here and draw each personally to know you on your terms through your word. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.